think the creative process is nothing but magic. You can't really explain where ideas come from. We're so quick to just dismiss the mystery of that. Your imagination and your intuition are able to literally tap into other dimensions that we cannot see, that we don't understand. Creativity is uh, inherently magical. Welcome to the Women in Magic podcast, where we explore the meaning of magic in a brand new way. Through awesome interviews with amazing guests, we'll do a glittery deep dive into the topics of magic, mentalism, performance, creativity, spirituality, intuition, and entertainment to peel back the curtain and look at the power and role that magic plays in all of our lives. Through shining the spotlight on incredible magicians and masters of their craft across the world, together we'll feel completely inspired by their insightful lessons, hilarious stories, and wild adventures. Thank you for joining me on this magical journey. Joining me this week is James McRae, a one-of-a-kind artist, poet, and teacher who empowers creators to live with purpose and turn imagination into reality. James masterfully blends mindfulness, intuition, and Eastern philosophy with loads of humor to create powerful and viral memes on his Instagram account, Words of Vibrations. They spread like wildfire while simultaneously sharing messages about consciousness, humanity, spirituality, authenticity, and so much more. James is the founder of Sunflower Club, a global community dedicated to using creativity as a healing modality and an agent of personal and social transformation. He's the author of two incredible books titled Your Ego Says and How to Laugh in Ironic Amusement During Your Existential Crisis. Based in Austin, Texas, James is an absolute master of creativity who will change your understanding and relationship with your own creative potential. James McRae, it is an absolute joy to be with you today. Same here. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's an absolute pleasure to be with a creative walking genius on our planet. Now, I'd love to start with a a beautiful question. What does magic mean to you? Hmm. What does magic mean to me? I don't know. Like magic can be a lot of things. I guess it's anything that can't be explained through existing paradigms, like anything that kind of exists beyond a current paradigm, whatever that might be, you know, like even creativity is magic, right? You can't really explain it. And life itself is magic because you can't really explain it. And I think most things actually are more magic than people think, because when you really break things down, like anything in the world, you can't really explain it, right? Like you can explain around it and you can kind of explain aspects of things, but you can't really explain where any of this comes from. So in a way, it's all magic, but we just take it for granted because it's around us at all times. But I I think it's all magic in a way, but then in in another way, like anything that we don't have like this tangible explanation for that, that comes into the world, I think there's a degree of magic in that. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Every single thing is magic, including our creativity. So what is your individual magic? How would you describe that? My magic trick would be, you know, like anything that I write or make or create, right? Or even say, right? Because I think the creative process is nothing but magic. You can't really explain where ideas come from. We're so quick to just dismiss the mystery of that. If I'm writing something, if I'm creating something... Literally, there's not an idea and then there is and then it's down on paper and then like that suddenly exists and that didn't exist a minute ago. So it's like that often is astonishing to me is like, oh, where did that actually come from? Your imagination and your intuition are able to 
literally tap into other dimensions that we cannot see, that we don't understand, and we bring back information. And through the alchemy of our human body, whether we're writing with our hands or building with our hands or whatever it might be, we're constructing in the physical world these downloads that were received from other dimensions. So we're kind of like the whole world in a way is channeling from another dimension that we're kind of bringing to life in this realm. So I think creativity is uh, inherently magical. I love everything about what you've just said. So if we are all channeling creativity from another dimension and embodying it and expressing it, why don't we all see it that way? Because that is the difference between someone going, everything is magic and nothing is magic. The magic has been denied by society, but there's no other explanation, right? It's kind of like when a fish that's swimming in water doesn't recognize water because it's surrounded by water. So it's just like, this is what is. doesn't even know what water, a fish doesn't even know what water is. And I think that's like maybe humans and, and magic. Like we don't even know what magic is because we're like in it all the time and we are creations of it and we are conduits of it. So we're just like breathing it all the time. I sometimes think that all humans should just walk around in a state of constant awe and amusement and wonder because that's what existence is. Yeah. But it's hard to do that sometimes. So we just kind of like put our blinders on and just like pretend that everything's like normal and like, oh, the sun's in the sky and my lungs breathe this breath. And it's like when you really break it down, We don't have answers for any of this. Mm -hmm. We have just like different frameworks for making sense of it, but it's all magic. We've been taught to structure our society just more like a factory than a a wonder center, you know? So we just kind of like are just trained to look at life a certain way that's a lot less magical than it actually is. Yeah, I love that. A wonder center. Oh my God. Every day is a wonder center filled oriented day. Okay, so you expertly weave together creativity, humor, spirituality, and intuition into hysterical memes that just go straight to our heart and soul. When did you develop this love and passion? Well, love and passion for creativity or for memes in particular? For memes. And then we'll get back to the creativity. I've always been drawn to the internet. I've always been, you know, just fascinated by it and just been like a a fan and just a user of the internet for a while now. So I've always been aware of memes. For some reason, it took me a really long time to start making my own. I've always been a writer and I've been a poet and I've written books and other things. But it wasn't until the pandemic in 2020, when I started making memes. And I think that the reason for that was I was looking for a language, a new language to describe what I was thinking and feeling. It's sometimes easy to forget, like in especially the early days of the pandemic, how polarized the world was and how much fear and confusion and misinformation and just chaos and panic going on all around us. And it's a really crazy time. And I tapped into memes as a way of expressing the absurdity of it all. And it reminded me of in the early days of World War One, which was another 
time in history that was just completely nuts and like unprecedented and everyone was confused and scared and freaking out. And at that time, there's this art movement called Dada that came about that was like another art movement that was kind of based in absurdity and randomness and humor and mixing art and poetry. Marcel Duchamp famously signed a urinal and put it in an, an art gallery and called it art. And it was like just this kind of weird, absurd art that was a reflection of the weird and absurd time in the world. And I felt that way for memes where it's like when society gets weird, the artists need to get weird as well. So I just started tapping into this new form of expression. And I realized that through memes, you could say things in a more nuanced way and even add humor in a way that I could stand up on my soapbox and give a lecture about a topic or I could write an essay on a topic. And in doing so, you're kind of like preaching to the choir, like people that are predisposed to agree with you are going to agree with you and other people won't. But memes have a way of cutting through intellectual objections because they like, through the visual text combination, there's something that hits on the more gut level. There's like a visceral, guttural response. So it's almost like giving the medicine with a spoonful of sugar. Or it's like a Trojan horse where you can sneak in messages through memes that are just difficult to communicate otherwise. So I started making them in 2020 and I just haven't stopped since. So on that, in order to sort of hit the gut with messages that you can't communicate in other ways, humor is a gateway that opens our heart. So you actually use humor to open discussions about spirit and vibes and death and healing and connectedness and and love and aliens (laughs) and all of these topics that normally would be challenging to discuss. So is humor the cushion that allows you to just go, I'll say whatever I want. And in that process, what do you allow other people to do in terms of the discussions that they can then be part of? Yeah, I think humor is a big part of it. I think that the image factor is a big part of it where it's like, with the image and the humor aspect, it's almost like working in the realm of comics or cartoons because you're giving voice to these characters that are in these images where it could be like a character from The Simpsons or The Office. Yeah. Like the images are usually funny unto themselves and you're really giving a voice to the image. So in a way, it's like the meme world, you know, like they have um, the Marvel Universe or the DC Comics universe. And and there's all these characters that inhabit these different universes through comic books and movies. There's almost like a universe of meme characters (laughs) or meme templates, you know, that, that all exist in this fictional meme space. The internet has always been a safe place for like things you couldn't maybe say in, in real life as much, whether they're anonymous message boards or the internet has always given voice to certain types of expression that would be hard to share in real life. So memes are really an extension of that. And by working in this world of these meme characters, it's like you can kind of get away with saying anything because it's not real life, right? But then, of course, the messages that reach people have real-life implications because these are real people that are seeing it. So it's almost like using characters or like this comic style dialogue that makes it safe to do because I'm not saying it, 
these characters are <laughs> like, you know, it's Homer Simpson or it's this viral, you know, image that's saying it. So you can kind of get away with saying a lot more because you're almost hiding behind the fictional world of memes. Yeah, I love that. We know it's you. It's just, as you said, it's cased in characters that we are yet to experience. It's interesting that you view memes as characters. Yeah. And like a template. Because most people would look at a meme and go, oh, okay, well, that has a Shiba Inu on it. And that is a character that is expressing something. But you view the overarching concept of a meme as a character. Yeah, somewhat. All right. Like, it's kind of like insider, like meme stuff. But like each meme image is a bit of a template. Because the nature of memes is for there to be one template. And by template, I mean like an image. Like there are certain viral images mm. and then you can apply any message to that template. So it's like the image is a template. And another way to look at it is the image and the character represent an archetype. Yeah. Oh. Right. And, and an archetype is like a crystallization of a certain emotion or concept. And that's what makes a meme a meme. A meme is almost like an emoji where like an emoji is like a shorthand representation for an emotion. Memes are similar to that. So um, it's like, oh, this image expresses happiness, like existential dread, panic, um, confusion. They're an archetype of a certain expression. And then by applying your own message to it, you're kind of adapting the template in your own way. So... I do think that in a lot of ways, memes are archetypes to represent like certain eternal truths that have found their voice through this funny internet art form. I love that. Now, you left a comfortable career in Minnesota to take a leap to head to New York in 2012, which ultimately yeah. led to a dark night of the soul experience for you and then a complete transformation. Can you tell us what happened? Yeah. Um, so I grew up in Minnesota. I was born and raised in a very small town in rural Minnesota. And at some point, I, I moved to Minneapolis and went to art school, began working as a graphic designer in the advertising industry, and then switched to brand strategy. So I was a brand strategist in um, you know various Minneapolis ad agencies. I was doing pretty well. But I, I see, I'd always had this dream of moving to New York. Uh, I'd never been there. I just remember like reading a lot of poetry as a kid or, or, or just discovering different artists. And it just seemed like New York was a part of so many of these artist stories, you know, whether that's like Allen Ginsberg or Andy Warhol or whoever it was. So I always wanted to go and life passes fast, right? It's not always an easy thing to do. Now it doesn't seem like that big of a deal to move to another city, like any city, because I've moved to several cities now. But at the time, you know, when you're just like from Midwest and from Minnesota, just like not the thing that's encouraged or that is supported or that's part of a normal trajectory, right? I mean, my first job was in a cornfield, like a rural Minnesota kid. So it did take a lot of faith to do it without having a job or any kind of safety net or friends there and, you know, not much money saved up or any, anything like that. So it was very much a leap of faith. And I was, I had been getting more into spirituality at that time. So I was kind of on this mindset of like, if you take the leap, then that will appear. I just read The Alchemist by Paulo Coelho. And there's some line in that about, you know, the whole universe is conspiring to 
help you when you go after your dreams kind of thing. So that's kind of the mindset I had at the time. And then I, I finally do it. I quit my job, give up my apartment. I moved to New York. I couldn't get a job anywhere. Like, <laughs> even though I was like a, had a good resume in Minneapolis, it just didn't mean much in, in New York City. And I was just struggling to find my footing. All my money was quickly running out. And just when I thought it couldn't get any worse, Hurricane Sandy hit New York. It was like the, the only time a hurricane had ever hit New York City, the biggest storm in New York City's history. Crazy. And I was set up to move into an apartment like two days later. And Hurricane Sandy hit the apartment and destroyed it. Now I was not only was I struggling and unemployed and running out of money, now I was also homeless. Whoa. Yeah, it was just this weird thing. I, I ended up, I really didn't have anywhere to go. I just, I did not want to go back to Minnesota. So when a friend said that he knew someone with this empty cottage on this small island in the Caribbean called Culebra, I just decided to join him because I had, I had nothing else to do and nothing that was keeping me in New York. So in an island on the Caribbean sounds pretty good. Yeah, you could do worse, <laughs> right? It was just a small little island, like not that called Culebra. There's like, very small population, mostly locals, um, not much infrastructure. But if you're going to have a dark night of the soul, there are certainly worse, worse places to do it. <laughs> All my fears and insecurities came to the surface because I had thought the universe was conspiring to help me, right? Now it was like, no, that didn't happen at all. My faith and my trust were challenged. But I had nothing to do but just like sit on the beach all day and like watch the tide come in and out and like be alone with my thoughts, which was like a prolonged state of meditation. That's when I realized that all of these fears and doubts and insecurities were just the voice of my ego. Like they weren't true. And just because you think something doesn't make it true. So it really gave me this new understanding of like, oh, there are different parts of us, the ego and the intuition or the ego and the higher self. There are different voices that speak to us at all times. And it's just a matter of where we attune our attention and what we're listening to. How did you go though? Like, what was the jump? Like, how do you go from having the ego showering down on you with all of the negative thoughts to be able to be the observer, I guess, to go, hang on a second, there's a distinction here. Yeah, well, for me, it was like days of meditation, basically. Because I think that in regular life, you're always doing something. You're always mm. distracting yourself with something, right? Like you're always going on to the next thing. And it's just kind of like in, in, in this perpetual motion. And the thing about being on Calabra for me, it was like, it was almost like a forced meditation retreat. There was nowhere for me to go. So I had to sit with these thoughts. Like if you do like silent meditation or you go into a, like a darkness retreat. So you're just sitting in darkness all day with no stimulus and there's nowhere to go. Like you have nothing to do to but me meditate in a way. So that's just kind of what came around for me at that time. And so through this process, you discovered your both creative and spiritual voice or a different side of your creative voice? Yeah, well, I'd always been a creative and I'd always been a writer and I always wanted to write books. But I never quite knew what book I wanted to write or I would start a book and the idea would quickly like fizzle out. But when I was sitting there and, and getting these downloads about my ego and my higher self, a book idea just popped into my head. 
I knew it was called Shit Your Ego Says. Yeah. <laughs> and I knew the whole format. And I knew right away that I was going to finish it. This would be the book that I would actually write and finish and get published. And that all happened. Yeah. So it was just funny because what I perceived in the moment as like the worst case scenario, it was actually the best case scenario mm. because it was actually what opened the door for me to be a writer and an author and all these things. So it's like what looks like your worst moment and what looks like your breakdown is actually a breakthrough. Had you had any experiences in life that sort of tell that same story or that same division before? Or was this your experience that when your worst moment is actually your greatest? Because we can't get there unless we have the beautiful gift of hindsight or timing. Mm -hmm. I would say that was the one where the stakes were, they felt really real. Right. Because I was like far away from home, like on a random island with no money. It wasn't looking very good for me. I was like 30 at that time. So it's like I didn't have much to fall back on. So it definitely felt more real and alive than any kind of dark nights of the soul I, I had maybe had previously. And what's the best way that you would help people learn to distinguish between the two voices that you talk about, between our ego and our higher self? What's the quickest and most effective way to identify the differences? Because if you're in a dark place and you're struggling, you just it's just coming in and you're just listening to it. Yeah, and this is the same advice that I have for like getting more creative as well. And it's even like advice for writing. I would say it's moving your awareness from your head to your body. You know, people say like from your head to your heart, and that's that's cute. But your body has a lot more intelligence than your mind does. The mind is on the surface and it's very chatty. And you can get caught up in these mental narratives that just loop. And the ego and, and the mind is always on high alert, right? So it always seems urgent because it just won't shut up sometimes. So there's a fear-based element to the ego where it's like it wants to look for things to be on alert for and it wants to be like protecting you even in situations that don't require protection. Yeah. So for me, it's more like... Can you lower the volume on your mind and bring your awareness into your body? Like, just feel what's your body telling you? You know, what are your emotions telling you? Like, I try to do this thing called thinking without words. So it's like not letting the narrative of words mm. run in your mind, but more just turn into a whole like sensory perception. Imagine that you're, you know, an animal in the woods that just like, it thinks with, with its whole body. Mm. And it's like... It feels its way through life. It feels its way through the world. And I think that when we can feel our way through and connect with our body and our energy and our emotion, there's actually a lot more intelligence there than is here in the hard drive of our mind. Yeah. So just moving your awareness into your body, that's what connects us with intuition and with our higher self. Are you looking for amazing new magic effects? My friends at Global Magic Shop have an incredible range of hand-picked exclusive products directly from magic creators. These unique magic and mentalism effects, coupled with their huge online catalogue, provide the perfect additions to any street magic, stage magic, close-up magic, corporate magic, or party repertoire. Head to globalmagicshop.com.au and use the coupon Jordana for a 10% discount for all new customers. What does it feel like to you? Because you teach meme school. What does it feel like to you when you help someone unlock a form of their creative expression that they then go on to share with the world? 
Yeah, I mean, that's magic for me as well, because it's still amazing to me that I'm making memes and that memes are a thing. And then to be able to teach it and then teach that language and then see other people using it, that's pretty special. Even as a brand strategist, you're teaching your clients in a lot of ways. So I've been teaching now for a, a little while. I just think it's the most important thing that we all can do because I think that we're at a time in the world where we don't have a lot of integrity in our leadership from the institutions that are around us, whether that's the political or the universities. I don't think that these institutions are being in service to the people as much as they perhaps should be or used to be. So I think that it's really important for everyone who has any expertise or passion or insight into anything is to step up and be kind of a leader and a teacher in that field and to help others along the way. I just think it's a huge responsibility that that we all have right now. Yeah. So you run the Sunflower Club in Texas, which is a network where the ethos is the power of creativity transforms us and heals us. Yeah. Do you think that creativity and expressing that part of ourselves, and as you've just said, teaching it to others, could that solve so many problems between humans in the way that we relate? Like, can that be the answer? If we were all expressing more of our creativity, would the world just look so different? Yeah. I mean, in some ways, you know, if everyone was expressing their creativity. So I think that everyone has different a different form of creativity to express. Just like everyone has a different dharma, a different purpose. Like you wouldn't want all the animals in the animal kingdom to fly. And like all the people in the world aren't meant to write poetry. Mm. But I think that for me, creativity at its core is just about being an independent thinker and being a sovereign being. And that can express itself in any way. It's just how you show up in the world. I have a friend that hosts amazing dinner parties, right? And like for her, that is an art form. So you can express your creativity in, in any ways and that will absolutely on a personal level lead to deeper fulfillment and purpose. And yeah, if, if we all have deeper fulfillment and purpose, certainly the world would be a much better place. So that's in terms of creativity in general. In terms of Sunflower Club and the art of creative expression through things like poetry and singing and storytelling and opening up your vocal cords mm. to release something that is inside of you, right? I absolutely know that that is a healing modality unto itself. Yeah. And, you know, I think that sometimes we... We put certain spiritual practices onto a pedestal and be like, these are the healing modalities. These are this, this is what it means to be spiritual. Well, not necessarily. I think creativity can be just as much of a healing and spiritual practice as anything else. So it's really about purging and processing, you know, emotion. If a certain emotion or trauma gets suppressed, into the body and ignored and it's going to atrophy into some kind of a sickness. There are other forms of purging and release, right? Whether that's like sweating, like you can go into a, a sauna or a, a sweat lodge and sweat out 
toxins and that has a healing. Creating a poem sounds much more appealing than sweating it out. Just, just. Yeah. I mean, they're just, (laughs) and my point is that like, they're not even that different. Or like, you know, there are different ways to induce vomiting that's healing where you vomit out the sickness. Like um, cambos, you burn a little part of your arm and put a little piece of toad venom into the burn and it will induce vomiting. And then afterwards, it's like you feel so much better because you're releasing sickness. Or like this is what, you know, even ayahuasca is like it's supposed to induce purging that will clear out the body. And those are great. And I think that actual creative expression, there's a certain release to that where you're you're letting out toxins through the act of creative expression. And you can feel it in the room, like when there's a room full of people expressing themselves and they're they're not doing it to show off, right? They're really revealing a part of themselves. They're they're shedding light on their subconscious publicly and they're being witnessed. And their emotions are being received. There's something about that that's so healing. And it really does like open up your own ability to express, to create, and to heal yourself through that act of release. It sounds very much like comedy, which is a therapeutic tool where we go deep into our wounds and then share it so that we feel better and everyone else feels better. But it's like when we look at comedy, we know that there is a level of vulnerability. And if that vulnerability is shared, it's a form of connection and it's like a therapeutic release. But you're viewing every form of expression as having that quality, which I think is so beautiful. Yeah. You know, Sunflower Club is about all modes of expression are welcome. You know, like some people are drawn to comedy. Some people are drawn to poetry. My favorite is when someone goes up there and just starts talking without a plan and just finds their way through. That's the most beautiful to me. That's the most vulnerable. Where it's like, they don't know what they're going to say next. And that's for me the most inspiring. I love that. What does your creative process look like? I think that the biggest part of my creative process is trying to make myself a vessel to receive information. I love that. So how does one do that? And again, it's about like, the mind is not where most of our intelligence resides, right? The mind is like just the intellectual surface layer of like a vast network of nerves and energy and organs and like our body holds so much intelligence. And I think that the mind is good at working with information that it already has and strategizing with existing information But creativity is not about existing information, right? It's about something new, something that is almost divinely inspired. So for me, it's almost like meditation. And I've been meditating for a long time now. I've meditated every day for many years. And I've done different meditation and yoga trainings where I've, you know, trained myself to meditate for hours at a time. And that's such an important aspect of my creative process is getting into that meditative state where like listening to the space between my thoughts. Yeah. So not getting caught up in your own thoughts, but but like listening to that space between your thoughts that cuts through into the realm of intuition and inspiration and imagination. And then seeing what comes through and just trying to be like a open container for whatever's trying to come through. And that's like the yin part of the creative process, being open to receive 
But then there's the yang aspect of the creative process, which is the doing and the making. So then it's an aspect of, well, you might have a download or some an intuitive hit or an idea, but then you actually have to craft it into a tangible form, right? And that's really going to depend on the creative medium you're working in, right? It's like editing the words so they're just right, or going into Photoshop and making a meme, right? Or writing it out into a poem. And I'm very much a dedicated craftsman in that I've been tinkering with words and design uh, for a long time. So yeah, half of it is about opening up your intuition to receive. And then half of it is honoring the craft of making so you can make something that is sturdy and good and worth sharing. Yeah. So you've mentioned the yin and the yang, the receiving and the doing, which is the masculine and feminine qualities. Can you explain for people that don't know or are not familiar with what role the masculine and feminine qualities play in our creativity, which is really in any level of expression or performance or art? There are different ways of describing the yin and the yang. As I understand it and as I have studied it, yin is, you could call it the feminine principle and This isn't related to gender, right? Because men access their feminine aspects and and women access their masculine aspects. And it's a whole spectrum, right? So it's not exclusive to gender, but the yin is considered like the feminine principle, which is about receptivity and stillness and quiet and dark darkness and there are all these things associated with it. It's it's like the moon, it's the intangible, it's the flow. You get to summarize it almost as like intuition or the womb, right? The womb is like this kind of fertile space that is open to receiving, right? And the masculine or the yang is about action. It's about force. It's about doing it's about making it's about building it's about asserting your will as opposed to receiving right again both are super important because if you're overly stuck in the yin you might be super intuitive and you might be flowing through life and getting all these ideas and (laughs) just kind of flowing with the universe but you don't actually get anything done (laughs) You don't finish, you don't launch because you don't have that dedication, that commitment to actually doing. So you can get kind of stuck in that watery yin. You can also get stuck in the yang. And this might be like when I was working in advertising in New York City, it's all about productivity. There's no such thing as just productivity because like you need to have fuel or inspiration to fuel that productivity. At a certain point, if you're just being productive, you're not pulling from a deep enough well to be effective in your productivity. And there's no inspiration, there's no intuition. It's just, it just do. And that, that becomes very mechanical. It's almost like just a machine. So you need both to have an effective creative process and, and the world needs both. If ideas are fish, you need to be fishing in a deeper ocean in order to find better ideas. And that's tapping into the intuition, tapping into the in. Once you catch that fish, then you can actually cook it and serve it and do something with it. It's this delicate balance of flow and discipline or being and doing. And 
for me, it's really important to nurture both stages of the creative process. What do you think blocks a lot of people from expressing their unique magic with the world? And at what cost? Let's see. I mean, I can only speak for myself and my own experiences, but there's a lot of fear and conformity. There's a lot of what people perceive to be rules in society that when you break it down, you kind of be like, well, why are these rules here in the first place? Like these are just arbitrary social constructs. So I think that there's an aha moment for everyone who goes from being like another kind of just cog in the system to being more an independent, free-minded, creative, entrepreneurial type person where you realize that all the rules around you were just constructs that were set up by other people that have nothing to do with you and they're not natural laws that need to be followed, you can actually break free from that construct and do your own thing. It's easy to say. It takes a while to really internalize that and realize that you actually are a lot more free than you've been told that you are. But I think there's a lot of fear and conformity and kind of groupthink that keeps people in certain patterns. Your second book is called How to Laugh in Ironic Amusement During Your Existential Crisis, <laughs> which is beyond hilarious. When you wrote that title, were you worried that you would alienate people who didn't understand or were you just passionate about targeting people who were on that same level of consciousness? I just thought it was a funny title. I always like... <laughs> And so sometimes a title, even if you don't understand it, if it sounds provocative, <laughs> even if you've never had an existential crisis, you're going to find that title funny, right? Like, I've always liked these titles that are just like annoyingly long. Like, no title has a business being that long. How to laugh in ironic amusement during your existential crisis. It's 10 words which is just way too long. But that's why I liked it. People laugh whenever I say the title, right? Sometimes you just want something that's so different. And like sometimes you need to break the focus group type mentality where it's mm. like, is this a, if, if this is a good idea, like everyone needs to get it. I need everyone's like sign off. Everyone needs to like agree on it. And it's like sometimes the best thing you can do is just doing something that's completely not what you should be doing. Yeah. <laughs> and then it stands out more. So that was one of those cases. I love that. I love that. You've just given us a secret code to basically capture people's attention with levels of hilarity. Well, that, that started as a meme. So that that was a meme before it was a title. This is again like insider meme stuff. But like with memes, the less words typically is better. You want to communicate a point simply and succinctly. But sometimes, and this is like, the better you are as a writer, the easier you can pull this off. But sometimes I like to cram a bunch of extra words in there to make it more drawn out, which sometimes makes it more funny. That title was a direct result of me making memes and like trying to write longer captions that maybe packed in two or three jokes instead of just one. So good. So yeah. funny. Have you ever created any memes or run any commentary on the history of witches? Because in magic, eons ago, when people connected women and magic, they weren't perceived as divine sources of light. They were just instantly 
cast as negative witches that were going to just cast spells on everyone and ruin the world. Have you ever made any commentary on that? Well, I've made commentary on witches. Or any hilariously long titles that you can share? Yeah, there was one. (laughs) Um, This is one that I would look back on and I would laugh. It's very rare that like I'll like continuously go back and reread my own meme and then laugh. But this is one that I did. I like to bring in commentary about witches. I like to find new ways to look at spirituality. And I think the witch archetype is a good one because the witch archetype is for memes to be successful. Sometimes it's good for them to be a little bit taboo. And there's connotations around witches that are sometimes bad. But when you look at it, it's really just the expression of the divine feminine and the power of the divine feminine and the magic of the divine feminine. So that's a concept that I do like to play with. And then on the flip side, the fear of that. Totally, exactly. So here's one. Some of my favorite memes don't even have a picture at all. It's just the text. Sometimes I challenge myself as like, oh, can can I write a sentence that stands on its own enough where you don't even need an image to pull it off? Those are some of my favorites, where the writing is the meme. Mm. Um, So here's one. It says, you're in her DMs. I'm tied up in her bedroom covered in candle wax and menstrual blood while she practices witchcraft. We are not the same. (laughs) Oh, the image. Oh, my goodness. How do the people that have those preconceived ideas... I wonder how they're challenged when you call out like that. Do you ever know how you meet the people that are almost being challenged and provoked by the messages that you're sharing? Do you ever see that? Here's the thing. You know, when people are looking at Instagram, it's a private experience. And there are a lot of things that in private people will love. And I think that people are afraid to say things often but they're not afraid to think them and they'll believe things and they like things that they won't have the courage to talk about or to admit. So what I've actually realized is that when I say things like that, people deeply resonate with it. It kind of gives a voice to maybe a thought or idea or a feeling that they've had and that maybe they've been afraid to express, but they still like it. So they don't push back. I actually get very little like resistance because I think I'm often giving voice to feelings and expressions that people deep down do agree with and believe in. They're just maybe afraid to say it. I hope to, and I think all artists and especially like poetry that's really vulnerable and expressive, it gives permission to other people to also be, you know, vulnerable and expressive. Yeah. So... I just hope to help some people maybe say things that they'd be afraid to say because I'm saying them first sort of thing. And you're saying them through a lens of complete humor, sarcasm. So it's like, which part are they connecting with? The deep truth underneath it? The part that you're taking the piss out of? Like, which part are they actually resonating with? Totally. Yeah. Yeah. It's a mix. So you teach classes on conscious creativity. Can Mm -hmm. you explain what that is? Because I love that and we need more of it creativity and bringing consciousness to it, right? It could mean a lot of things, but it's like expressing yourself, like creativity as a vehicle of personal expression or expressing your higher self through creativity. And 
that's my favorite art. It sheds a light on the human condition through creative expression. So it's kind of like art classes and writing classes, but with an element of bringing in mindfulness and intuition and practical spiritual tools to kind of aid and facilitate the creative process. Amazing. So you're the only one doing that in the way that you're actually doing it. You're also the only person in the world that is creating viral content that overarchingly has the intention of spreading good vibes and elevating our consciousness. How does it feel to be the only person in the world that is doing what you are doing? Certainly not the only one. There are some other meme artists out there. There's not a lot of us. Yeah. <laughs> I, could, I could name them. <laughs> but I mean, I will name them. I mean, my friend um, Hannah Williams has an uh, Instagram account called Organic Abundance. She does an amazing job with this kind of stuff. Another is Bunny Michael, who has been making memes for a long time that have an aspect of spirituality to them. So we're a tight crew, but I'm certainly not the only one. And I think we're all pioneering a new, mm. a new art form. You know, I think that art is always changing from the days of Leonardo da Vinci's oil paintings to Andy Warhol's silkscreen paintings to Basquiat's graffiti to like the digital art. Art is always evolving. And I think that memes are both a form of writing and design that's combined together that I think is going to be something that we hopefully see continued for a long time. Yeah. I love it. Oh my goodness. James, thank you so much for sharing your magic with us, your insight into how you express your magic, tips for us to get in touch with our magic and really just covering the level of magic that we actually need in the world. Thank you so much. It's been an absolute joy. Thank you. This was a lot of fun. Thanks for having me on. My pleasure. To connect with James on Instagram and check out his genius memes, there is a link to his Instagram account, Words of Vibrations, in the show notes below. There is also a link to his website, his two books, and the Sunflower Club podcast. Thank you so much for listening and joining our adventure. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a star rating and a review because it will absolutely help spread the magic to more people. Catch you next episode.